0: The following audio is from the Grove Church Snohomish campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. Well, again, I want to welcome you to the Grove Church. So happy that you're here today. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in Psalms 131, Psalms, basically directly in the middle of your Bible, or it'll also be on the screen. If this is your first time checking out our church, we want to say welcome to you. Thanks for joining us on this 4th of July weekend. Hope you had a, a fun 4th. We had a great 4th as a family, and uh, this year, our Lydia just turned 4, and uh, June is 18 months now, so they're growing like weeds, and so I went to... Um, one of those fireworks stands in Lake Stevens, because uh, in Marysville, where I currently live, all fireworks are now completely banned. So I went to Lake Stevens, got some sparklers, got a couple of tanks for the kids, just some small little things. And so on the 4th of July, we uh, went to go light these fireworks and it was super fun. We had the sparklers and uh, Lydia was having a great time. And, and June saw that, you know, Lydia had her own sparkler. And so she was getting really mad that she didn't have her own sparkler. So I, I handed June one, but you know, she's pretty small. So I put it in her hand and I was holding her hand while she was doing it. And she was like, yeah, yeah. So she wanted to do it herself. So she had a sparkler all by herself. So that was super fun and dangerous. And then uh, best, best part of the whole story is my sweet Lydia totally got burned on her first firework experience. So that was awesome. Yeah, she held on to the sparkler too long and boom, right there, got burned on her hand. So we're terrible parents and we're going to jail. But other than that, all fingers and all toes to be accounted for. But we uh we continue the series today and we're uh, we're in the series called Happy Trails. We're talking about uh the Psalms of Ascent and we've been in the series for a while and just again for those who are new today this these are psalms in the book of Psalms from Psalms 121 to 134 where the people people of Israel would make trips to Jerusalem for different festivals to worship and remember God for, for all that he'd done in their lives. And as they would make and travel to Jerusalem in their, you know, large parties of animals and children and relatives, they would sing these songs as songs of remembrance and songs of worship to God. And today's focus is on the topic of humility, talking about what it looks like to remain humble. And so we'll, we'll jump into that here in just a moment. It's interesting, the stages of life when you start thinking about it. And a lot of times when it comes to the stages of the life, what we do to get to know people is we ask them about their current stages of life. And it's kind of the surface way of getting to know a person and kind of figure out who they are. And it sometimes goes a little bit like this. It's kind of information based. We would say something like, you know, when you graduate from high school, for example, people will ask you, uh, what are you doing next? Or what college are you going to? Or maybe, uh, what are you going to major in? Or what are you going to do with your life? These are the way, these are kind of conversations and questions that we ask people to get to know them. When you graduate from college, um, or a trade school, people ask, you know, where are you going to move? Or, or what will you do for work? Or how will you make money? um, when you get a, go- a girlfriend or a boyfriend, people ask a lot of times, you know, when are you getting married? Is he or she the one? Have you set a date? Has he bought a ring? Why is he slacking off? All that kind of stuff. Uh, when you get married, people start asking, when will you have kids? How many kids will you have? And then when you have a kid, people start asking you, when will you have another one? And then when you have two kids, people will ask you, when will you have more kids? And sometimes people will say, are you done having kids? And other people will ask you, will you please stop having kids? And all the different stages of life. And it goes on and on and on. We ask these kind of questions to get to know people on the basic level, on kind of a surfacey level. Try to figure out kind of where they're at in life and how to get to know them. It's interesting, it's interesting though, that questions like this always deal with the surface level about a person. It's it's factual. It's it's kind of simple. It's, it's, it's safe and it's pretty innocent to ask questions like this to get to know a person. It's interesting though that a lot of times we don't really ask questions that have to do with the actual person. We ask questions that have to do with what they've done. And what I want you to think about for just a moment is what would it be like if we asked people questions like this? Well, what are you good at? What do you love to do? What are you passionate about? What do you think are your greatest strengths to offer society and the world? And partly the reason why we don't ask these kind of questions is that if we're honest, we don't like to answer these kind of questions. Nobody in this room likes to talk about themselves unless you're super arrogant and prideful and, and like to brag. We don't like to naturally talk about ourselves, especially about our strengths. In fact, we tend to be the most critical about ourselves. We struggle a lot with negativity or doubt or even more strongly kind of the self-hate about ourselves. And we're really good, if we're honest today, we're really good at pointing out all the flaws in ourselves and what's wrong with us versus what's right about us and what good we have to offer. In fact, I I hear it all the time, these kind of phrases. You know, I, I wish I wasn't shaped this way. I do not like this about myself. I hate that I do this. I wish I did that. I hate that I struggle with this. If only I could do this. And the question becomes is that, is there any good that we have to offer Those around us, is there any good inside of us that we can focus on and talk well about ourselves and actually think positively about who we are and the way that God's created us? It's interesting because when we think about the topic of humility, we all want to be humble. Nobody here wants to be prideful. We all want to be in a humble position. And no one wants to say, Well, I'm an arrogant person or I'm a prideful person. And even in church world and in Christianity, we, we tend to, you know, squash anyone that's too confident or too bold or, or feels really, you know, you know, joyful or excited or feels they're really good at something, because we're always cautious and very careful that we remain. Humble, that we, don't too, that we don't think too big of ourselves, that we don't brag, that we don't compare. And yet, I love this definition of humility. Humility isn't thinking less of yourself, humility is thinking of yourself less. One more time on the screen here humility isn't thinking less of yourself, humility is thinking of yourself less. For example, and I'll just use an example in my life. For example, I'm a very passionate person. By being passionate, it gives me excitement for life. This is a great quality of mine, period. Now, you could sit here and say, man, wow, you're really, you know, arrogant. You like to brag. But it's true. I'm a very passionate person, and I get excited about everything. Like, I get excited about lines in my lawn, for example, okay? Like, when I mow my lawn, I literally will drive by my front door yard probably about four or five times just loving the lines in my yard I love doing landscaping I love it my favorite part of landscaping is edging after I mow I edge one why before I mow I edge once and then I mow and then I edge again and I love when the concrete and the grass just line up perfectly I love it okay I get I get excited about really stupid little things okay it's awesome Recently, one of our, our neighbors has had a huge RV in front of my house, and more annoying than anything is that I can't enjoy the look of my lawn because of his RV. Like, But this is, this is the reality. I, I get passionate about simple things. And yet, I could phrase it a different way if I struggle with being negative or, or self-hate or self-doubt and not really loving myself. I could say it like this, I'm a passionate person. However, by being passionate, I annoy people and they don't like when I'm around because my excitement bothers them. See, I can say it two different ways. I can say I'm a passionate person and I love lines in my lawn and I love having fun and I get excited about simple things, period. That's the way God has made me. But because we deal so much with criticalness and dealing with this issue of looking at ourselves in such a negative light all the time, and we're so down on ourselves, and we want to push down saying anything good about ourselves, what we do is we take the very qualities and the aspects of God's character in our lives, the qualities that he's designedly put there as an imprint when he created us in his image, and we take a spin and we spin it negatively. Some people could say something like this, you know, I'm I'm super organized. I like things a certain way in my house, and that's the way I like it. I like this here and that there, and I tend to, you know, like things organized, and I like things put in proper places. That's great. That's a great quality that you like things organized, and you like putting things in certain places, and you like things organized. Negatively You could say, well, I'm OCD and I'm a perfectionist and everyone thinks, you know, I can't have any flaws and everyone thinks my house is just too perfect. You see what we do? We take the very good thing that God has put in our lives because we're afraid of being arrogant or prideful. We want to remain humble. We want to remain not boastful. We don't want to sin. We don't want to act like we have it all together, that we don't want to brag. We're not this bag of potato chips and awesome thing. And what we end up doing is we take the very good that God has given us and we're critical and we shoot it down. As we look to the Psalms of of humility today, the Psalms 131, I, I hope... It'll help you really see what humility truly is. That, that humility is not this quiet, somber, you know, just can't ever say anything good about yourself. That is not humility. That there's amazing things about humility that we're going to learn today that I think will be helpful. Let's read the Psalms today. Psalms 131, imaging the people of God heading to Jerusalem. It says, Oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Let's pray for God's word today. Lord, we thank you and praise you, God. That you're here in this place, that you're in our hearts, you're in our lives, you're in every single moment of every single day. And we can just be confident, God, that who we are and how you've made us is more than enough in your eyes. And I pray today, God, yes, that we would walk out of here humble, God, realizing how great and awesome you are and how amazing our lives are, God. But I pray today we also walk out of here with a confidence in you, Lord, That how you've created us, how you've designed us, is incredible, is special, is unique. And we thank you for that today. And all God's people said, amen. Verse 1, it starts off just a shorter psalm today. It says, "O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. The people of God are, are saying that humility benefits a person that these eyes being raised or a heart be lifted up, this is an expression of, of pride and arrogance. It's this recognition that I'm not all that in a bag of potato chips, but I'm also not scum and junk that is not valued and treasured by God and others. It's a humble and confident approach towards the living God. In Deuteronomy 29, 29, it says, the secret things belong to the lord our god but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law see there will be things on this side of life that we will never understand or know there will be there will be things and situations and circumstances in our current life throughout our entire life of things that we will never understand. We will never understand why the righteous suffer and why the wicked seem like they get away with everything. Things we don't understand. There are things in life we will not understand when it comes to losing loved ones far too sooner than we wanted, losing babies to miscarriage or other circumstances. There are situations and deep things and big questions of life that we would sit here today and have have thought these questions. Lord, why did this happen? God, why this? God, why that? Lord, if only you could do this. Lord, what about this situation? And what the people of God are being reminded of today is that there are going to be these big questions of life, these philosophical questions, these questions that are hard to understand and process, and we will never know the answers to those questions until we reach eternity. There are certain secrets that belong to the Lord our God that we will never know. And the people of God are saying, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. What they're saying is I'm not worried and anxious and overwhelmed about things that are out of my control. There are going to be times in my life where things are beyond what my heart and my eyes can understand and see. There's going to be things that are difficult and hard to process, and yet I need to remind myself that I don't need to get so freaked out and worried and wonder what's going on. In Matthew six thirty four, it says, "'Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself.'" Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So this step towards humility, if I'm gonna walk in humility, I'm not gonna think of myself less, okay? I'm just gonna think of myself and, and, and put others before me. This, this humility, this step towards humility is gonna first start with, I'm not gonna be fretting and worried about all the things that are too hard for me to understand. What is it in your life today that you don't understand? What are the questions in your life today that if you only could answer, things would be solved in your heart and your mind? And I'm here to tell you today that those things may never be answered. You may never get those questions that you have, those deep, dark thoughts that you have, those things may never be resolved. And yet the people of God are saying, I don't occupy myself with all of these things too great and too marvelous for me. It says, but what they do is I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. How do we remain humble towards the Lord God and walk in his ways? How do we find ourselves not so worried and freaked out and these questions and this anxiety and this fear and what's gonna happen? How do we not get our heads in that place? It's interesting, though, because practically, I can see how we get there. I mean, I have, I have little kids, and I have bills to pay, and I have a job to do, and I have social media accounts to stay up with on, and I got a lawn to mow, and the responsibilities, and the duties, and the tasks, and all the things that overwhelm and we can start to feel why we feel so anxious and so overwhelmed with life. And yet, to walk humbly before God, to have this state of humility, the people of God are saying, I have calmed and quieted my soul before the Lord. One of the best books I read about two years ago, I highly, highly recommend it to you today, is a book called Soul Keeping by John Ortberg. Incredible book. Told, I've said multiple times, I love reading. I find myself reading constantly. And this is one of the best books I've read, probably twice now, just because it has so many good thoughts about the importance of keeping our souls in check. He writes in a few different spots in the book and I'm going to read to you today, that your soul is what integrates your will, your intentions, your mind, your thoughts and feelings your values and conscience and your body, your, your face, your body language and actions into a single life. A soul is healthy, well-ordered when there's harmony between these three entities and God's intent for all creation. When you are connected with God and other people in life, you have a healthy soul. People of God are saying, but I have calmed and quieted my soul. He goes on to write, not on the screen here. I just want you to just listen and capture what he's saying here. The alternative to soul acceptance is soul fatigue. There's a kind of fatigue that attacks the body. When we stay up too late and rise too early, when we try to fuel ourselves for the day with coffee and a donut in the morning and a Red Bull in the afternoon, when we refuse to take the time to exercise and eat foods that clog our brains, and arteries, when we constantly try to guess which line at the grocery store will move faster and which car and which lane of the stoplight will move faster and which parking space is closest to the mall, our bodies grow weary. There is a kind of fatigue that attacks the mind when we are bombarded by information all day at work, when multiple screens are always clamoring for our attention, when we carry around mental lists of errands and not yet done bills that have not been paid and emails not yet replied to, when we try to push unpleasant emotions under the surface like holding beach balls under the water at a swimming pool, our minds grow weary. There's a kind of fatigue that attacks the will. We have so many decisions to make when we are trying to decide what clothes will create the best possible impression, which foods will bring the most pleasure, which taste, which task at work, excuse me, will bring us the most success, which entertainment options will make us the most happy, which people we dare to disappoint, which events we must attend, even what vacation destination will be most enjoyable. The need to make decisions overwhelms us. The sheer length of the menu at Cheesecake Factory oppresses us. Sometimes college students choose double majors, not because they want to study two fields, but simply because they cannot make the decision to say no to either one. Our wills grow weary with so many choices. He quotes Dallas Willard in saying this, that hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. The people of God are saying as they make their way to Jerusalem that I have quieted and calmed my soul. And yet today we can sit here and I can stand here today and say, yet we struggle so much with the nonstop, have to get it done, go, 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 until eventually we feel this overwhelming, stressful, anxious sense of life. And we go and we're consumed in our phones, and me me, me me, ding, ding and kids and bills and ah and ah and noise, and it gets so loud, and things get so crazy, and we get so overwhelmed, and we get so fearful and we get so anxious, and we go on, and we go on, and we go on, and we think if we change this and we change that, and yet here's the reality of it until we learn to calm and quiet our souls before God. It will never stop. The rat race will never stop. Until we just learn to enjoy God's presence and be in the moment, this feeling will never go away. The notifications will always be there. The emails will always come. The phone calls, the robocalls, they'll always be coming. I have to get to a place where I quiet my soul. It's interesting because I got two little kids. So there's, there's no quiet ever, you know? It's like the idea of reading this and studying for this message. It's like, I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like when? When does that happen? How? You know, daddy, daddy, daddy. Shut it, shut it, shut it. No, I'm kidding. But that's how you feel sometimes. You know what I mean? Well, when is it quiet? It's, it's interesting though. Look at, look at the description. This is, this is an interesting example. Like a weaned child with his mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. It's amazing, Amanda has nursed both of our kids and the contentment and the satisfaction of just being in mama's arms is more than enough for them. Like they, they don't need anything else when they're in their mother's arms, being cared for and being loved and being fed. So why, why, why would God use that, ex, that, that ex description to describe the soul being quieted. Because what he's trying to get us to understand is that when we're just in the arms of our heavenly father and we're just in his presence, there is fullness of joy. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. It, It means that all we need, all you and I need is just to be in the Lord's presence. And that will humble us and put us in the right perspective for life. It will. That will bring us to a place where we find ourselves not getting too prideful, not getting too arrogant, but loving who God created us. It's in those places of the soul and the quiet hours of the morning or the night. It's in those places where you begin to realize, I'm a passionate person. I love life. And God made me that way. And he loves me that way. I love to be organized. I love things this way. And God made me that way. And he loves me that way. This is my shape. This is how God has made me. And I made that way. And he loves me that way. Period. But I cannot get that perspective, that humility, or that confidence in the Lord unless I quiet my soul, unless I pause, unless I stop, unless I reflect. In my life, it's kind of hard to find these places to quiet the soul. And yet I'm starting to find some rhythms recently where my soul is getting to just have these quiet moments and, you know, take it for what it's worth. For, for me, it's, it's, you know, in the morning as I head to work and I'm in the morning hours of, of my job where there's not a lot going on. Sometimes later in the day, I, I've said before, I really like to run and I have picked it up recently after taking some months off. So I've been, I've been running a lot outside and I used to listen to music and I used to listen to podcasts and now I don't listen to anything. It's just me and my painful knees on the concrete. But what I love about it, even though I feel like I'm going to die sometimes, what I love about it is when I'm done, And my body begins to cool down and I'm now thankful that I got out there and ran again. What I love is I just have these moments with me and the Lord just walking back to my house. No one's with me. Sure, cars are driving by, but I can just quiet my soul before him. I can find that perspective. See, humility isn't thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. And to the degree that you accept Christ's amazing love and creation of you will be to, to the degree that you will find meaning and satisfaction in life. I want to read just another little thing here from this book. This is the beginning here. The Keeper of the Stream. There once was a town high in the Alps that straddled the banks of a beautiful stream. The stream was fed by springs that were old as the earth and deep as the sea. The water was clear like crystal. Children laughed and played besides it. Swans and geese swam on it. You could see the rocks and the sand and the rainbow trout that swam at the bottom of the stream. High in the hills, far beyond anyone's sight, lived an old man who served As keeper of the springs, he had been hired so long ago that no one could remember a time when he wasn't there. He would travel from one spring to another in the hills, removing branches or fallen leaves or debris that might pollute the water. But his work was unseen. One year, the town council decided they had better things to do with their money. No one supervised the old man anyway. They had roads to repair and taxes to collect and services to offer. And giving money to an unseen unseen stream cleaner had become a luxury they could no longer afford. So the old man left his post. High in the mountains, the springs went unattended. Twigs and branches and worse muddled the liquid flow. Mud and silt compacted the creek bed. Farm waste turned parts of the stream into a stagnant bogs for a time no one in the village noticed but after a while the water was not the same it began to look brackish the swans flew away to live elsewhere the water no longer had a crisp scent that drew children to play by it some people in the town began to grow ill all noticed the loss of sparkling beauty that used to flow between the banks of the streams that fed the town The life of the village depended on the stream and the life of the stream depended on the keeper. The city council reconvened. The money was found. The old man was rehired. After yet another time, the springs were cleaned. The stream was pure. Children played again on the banks. Illness was replaced by health. The swans came home and the village came back to life. The life of the village depended on the health of the stream. The stream is your soul and you are the keeper. The stream is your soul and you are the keeper. See, I love this so much because it helps put into perspective what it really means to quiet our soul before the living God. It means we have to take time out of our crazy lives and we have to learn how to hit pause and start taking some introspective on what's happening on the inside of our hearts. And if we don't pause and do that, what ends up happening is things start coming out that we have no idea where they've come from. And I'm sure you've experienced this in your life. Short-tempered, anger outburst, overspending out of nowhere, heaps of credit card debt. We make decisions Because what ends up happening is our soul gets so bombarded and so fatigued and so overwhelmed that we don't know what's right from wrong. We don't know what's up from down and we end up just filling our lives with a bunch of stuff. What it means to, to quiet your soul, what it means to remain humble is to often, very often, take inventory of your life and your decisions and say to yourself, are my decisions and my life measuring up to what God wants from me through the scriptures? Am I becoming more compassionate and loving towards those around me? Am I filtering my life and thinking through what's my attitude like? What's my spending like? How am I treating my spouse? How am I treating my kids? And by doing all these things, what ends up happening is our life becomes filtered. We become more patient. We become more kind. We become more loving of parents. We become more gentler spouses. And what ends up happening is this keeps us from pride. This keeps us from arrogance, but it also keeps us loving who we are. And so my encouragement to you today, as we kind of bring this thing to a close, my encouragement to you today would be, where will you get calm and quiet your soul? Where will you find these moments in your daily life where you can have that humble posture before God? Where will you find time to where you can filter and get rid of and add to who you are and who God's made you to be? Because you're the keeper of your soul. You're the one that manages those things and you got to do the work it takes to keep it clean. Let me pray for you today. Lord, I thank you so much, God, that you have given us, Lord, A soul, Lord, a soul to love you, a soul to worship you, a soul to give you praise. And yet, God, you remind us that we are the keepers of it today. That in order to remain humble, in order to walk in humility, in order to put others before ourselves, God, we must find time where we can quiet ourselves and calm ourselves and listen to your Holy Spirit. And yet, God, it seems in our day today, it's we're going 100 miles an hour in 10 different directions. But I pray, God, you would just give us that strength, that energy to find those windows, those times, those different moments, to be still and know that you are God. I believe there's people in this room here today where you've really hated yourself with every head bowed and every eyes closed, you really, you really hated yourself. You, 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 you criticize and you think ill of who you are. You make fun of yourself in front of others so that will cover some type of insecurity, but you really do not like who God's made you to be. And this self-doubt or this self-hate or this overcritical attitude or spirit that you carry, I believe today God just wants to set you free from that. I believe God wants to remind you today that I love you. I've made you. I've created you. You have a purpose. You have a plan. And there's no one like you on the planet. And I love you for who you are, just the way you are right here in this moment. And so if you're here today, just with the confidence of the Holy Spirit, you're here today and you say, you know what? I'm so critical. I'm so, I'm so mean to my, I just do not like who I, I speak ill and I, I want that to go away. I want to see myself the way God sees me. I want to speak well about myself. I want to speak well of the things God has blessed me with and given me. And if that's you today, you'd say, you know, I just want to be set free from that lie, that critical spirit, that insecurity. I want to be, be I just want that to go away today. If that's you today, I just want you to lift up your hand here today. I want to pray for you. Come on, anyone else? So many hands up right now. So many. Anyone else? You'd say, man, that's me. Absolutely. Anyone else? You want to raise your hand with these individuals here today? Yeah, absolutely. Let me pray for you today. God, I just thank you right now that, Lord, we are created in your image, designed by you, loved by you. And, Lord, there is nothing wrong with us. There's nothing wrong with our shape or our voice or our image. God, there's nothing wrong with our personality. You have made us just the way that we are and you love us right here in this moment. And I pray for freedom in the name of Jesus. I pray for those lies, those critical voices, those things that have been said over people. I pray in the name of Jesus, God, they would be forgotten. They would be removed from their mind. And I pray for joy, God. I pray for peace. I pray for your strength. I pray for an overwhelming confidence, an overwhelming boldness, an overwhelming joy of knowing, God, that you love each person in this room just the way that they are that the things that they're good at can be used for your glory, the things that they're gifted in can be used to tell others about you, and we pray against the lies of the devil and his schemes that would try to destroy our identity and who we are in Jesus, and we thank you, Jesus, that you have set us free today. We thank you, Jesus, that there's freedom in this place today. We thank you, Jesus, that when we walk out of here today, we will not be the same person. We will love you, and we will love ourselves because we're made in your image, and we praise you for it. And all God's people said, come on, let's give God praise for that freedom in this place. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Snohomish Sermon Podcast. If you want to keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.